0: Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Dry Run Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at dryrunbaptist.org. Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. That's where we'll be this fine morning. And today we answer this one large question before us. What is the meaning of this? And what, what, what is this that, that I'm talking about? What is the meaning of this life? Like, why, why are you here? Why are you here? And I don't mean why are you here at church. I mean, like, why are you here on the earth? Why do you live? This isn't a small deal. It's the biggest deal and the lifelong pursuit that many of us spend all our talent, time, and treasure trying to figure out. And the answer was here all along in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Today we end our pursuit of a meaningless life. And I hope by God's grace, we trade that for one that has meaning and one that matters. That's what we're going to do today in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. You heard the verses before us this morning. So what happens here is the argument of Solomon. He concludes this argument, that being that there is nothing new under the sun, there's nothing substantial under the sun that has meaning apart from God. We, we we've been living life under the sun, and it's kind of a dark place. It's kind of a potentially depressing place down here under the sun. What he's saying is that life under the sun is like smoke. It looks like it's something you can grab onto, but you try to grab onto it and there's you can't hold on to it. It's fleeting. So what do you do? You try to make it matter here. And how do you, how, how might we make it matter? The same way that Solomon did in his pursuits. We started looking for a reason to justify our existence by the job that we take, the wealth that we have, the pleasure that we could experience, the substances that we could take in, the relationships that we have. Now Solomon is able to pursue these things to an extreme end that you might not be able to. So he's come to the end of all of these things. And here's what he said, none of them really matter. None of them really do it for you. So today we answer the question, why is there no meaning apart from God under the sun? Why is there no meaning under the sun? Because of what we see in the text. Nothing matters under the sun. Because everything finds meaning in relation to God. Everything finds meaning in relation to God. So here's what that means. You could take what you're pursuing right now with your life to its ultimate climactic end, and it won't matter. Because if you're going down the wrong road... And keeping it between the lines, right? It doesn't matter how well you drive on the wrong road. You will not get where you're supposed to be going. Many of us today are good drivers in the wrong direction. Here today is a large U-turn sign for all of us. Look at the U-turn that we see before us. You try to find meaning, satisfaction, something that matters in all of these pursuits in our life. Here's the big U-turn from Solomon. Turn around, you're going the wrong way because there's nothing down that road that you can find. Your pursuit of meaning in this life is a dead-end road. So turn around. Turn around, why? Because everything finds meaning in relation to God. Now, he shows us the specific ways in his introduction to the end in verse nine, if you look at it, he says, besides being wise, so this is the narrator that comes in, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find the words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So the narrator breaks in and tells us what's happening here as Solomon tries to find the right words, and he nailed it, and he said what he should have said. And what is the example that he uses there in the verse, in verse 11? The words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. He's talking about verse 11, the sharp sticks that shepherds use to prod the sheep in the way that they want to go. So hence why everything matters in God for your direction, for your direction. Now here's the problem with that. He uses shepherding metaphors to say, listen, this is what he's doing to you. He's shepherding you. Here's the problem. Sometimes there's words of delight, like verse 10, like there's some good stuff in here in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter three, for everything, there is a time and a season and a purpose under heaven. So you're going through stuff and you're like, that is great. This is just a season that I'm in. This is just a temporary thing that I'm dealing with. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that great? And those are words of delight. That is so good. And then he says things like this. I don't care how smart you are, how wise you are, you're still going to die like a fool. You see how that makes a really bad Hallmark card? Like one of them makes a good one. You you open it up and they're like, oh, this is from so-and-so. Oh, it's so sweet. For everything there is a season. You're going through a rough time. It's just going to last for a little while. That is so sweet. I love that they thought of me and sent me this. Then you get a card, and you open it up, it's like, you're going to die like a dog. Is this a threat? <laughs> is this a threat? Like, this feels like it should be an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper with, like, like magazine letters put on it, you know? <laughs> like, is this, are they, am I going to get kidnapped here? Like, I, I don't know. But, like, both of those things are in Ecclesiastes, very sweet words of delight, and also things that poke us and prod us and sting us. And you know, wouldn't we rather have Ecclesiastes chapter 3? Then you're going to die like a dog. No matter how wise you are, you go to the ground. You're going to die like a beast in, in the grave. So don't think this life is all it's cracked up to be. You won't get out of it alive and you'll die no matter how wise you are. Now, you see, both of those things are here in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says, don't you see what he's doing to you? He's giving you words of delight, and he's shepherding you with goads. Now, I know something as a pastor, that word that's a word associated with shepherding. There are things that, like, you're there at the birth of babies, and you're there at weddings, and you're there at funerals. People normally don't like being shepherded very much when they are going the wrong direction. We don't like that. If, if me and you meet and we have lunch and I go, I think things are going great for you in your life. I see you growing in all of these ways and maturing. I see a lot of things that's great for you. You know what? You're going to be like, those are words of delight. But if we have lunch and I go, listen, I see your temper coming out in the following ways. And um, you really got to get a handle on that before it destroys you and your family and your kids. Are those words of delight? That's probably more like a a goad of of a shepherd. See, the problem with shepherding is you, you have to figure out a way to get the sheep to go in a direction that you find to be safe for them in another way. And you know what? We don't. I don't know how many sheep farmers we have this morning. Uh, probably all of you, right? Feed your sheep, come to church. You did that on Sunday. It's probably the thing. I hope somebody's watching your sheep while you're here, right? Um, but you don't buy lawnmowers. You buy sheep and goats. I know you do. But let's, so let's change this metaphor a second. You're walking with your child and all of a sudden they try to get off of the sidewalk So either you grab them, if for some reason you're not already holding them, or you grab them tighter and you pull. Now, for that moment, that's going to be very unpleasant for the child. Why would you make their life unpleasant like this? How dare you step in and correct their course? Why would you ever do that to them? You are a monster. You're an absolute monster pulling the arms off kids. Let me tell you why you're not a monster for, for pulling your kid out of the road. Because it's bad for them to be in the road. And you see what happens here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Is he's saying everything matters in God for the direction of your life. And if you are finding meaning or say, things that matter, trying to find those things, and you're not looking in God, you're never going to find them. So turn around, turn around to the direction that you should be going. Might we be still stinging from the goads of Ecclesiastes when he told us that our wealth is not going to matter in the end because of all of that wealth is going to someone else and all of our nice stuff is going to someone else. You might still be stinging from the words of Ecclesiastes that says everything you like, you think is nice is going to be at a pawn shop one day. It all ends up there, or at an antique shop, like, or a landfill. It's all going to be at a pawn shop, an antique shop, or a landfill. All of it. All of it. And you're going to be in the ground too. stings because you know what? I like my stuff. You know, I like it. And, and I like my life. I like my stuff. I like any money I have in the bank. I like it for it to be there. I like for it to have friends. You know, that dollar I like for it to have multiple friends, make friends and influence people. I like that dollar to have other dollars. It can hang out within the bank. I don't like it being by itself. You know, it's really bad when it's by itself. That, that's a lonely dollar in there. But you know what? The direction of my life cannot be for the pursuit of those ends because everything matters in God and not those things, right? And that's what Ecclesiastes has done. It has put a big U-turn sign up saying the direction and all these pursuits, substances, food, relationships, everything in between, it's not the place that you find direction. It's not the place that you find meaning. That's what he says in these verses that everything is in God before he tie and he says this before he ties it all together right he realizes he has popped your balloon he has rained on your parade he wants to know wants you to know that the popping of your balloon and the destruction of the basket that you're putting all your eggs in the destruction of your dreams all this is not only true direction changing but these are the words of one shepherd. Do you see that in the text? So if, if you look down at your Bible, you notice that the words of the wise in verse 11. So we're talking about Solomon here in verse 11. The words of the wise, he's referring to everything Solomon's already said, are like goads, like nails firmly fixed, are collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd. Verse 9 says this is talking about Solomon's teachings. Verse 10 is talking about Solomon's teaching. Verse 11, something changes. It says something very odd the words of one shepherd. You see how that, that, that's, in all likelihood, a reference to God? That God is shepherding you through the words of Solomon. That's what he's doing. So in the, at the end of Ecclesiastes, we, we see that God is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want," David said. He understands. He understands that God is not just going to leave you alone. He is going to guide you in the direction that you're supposed to do to go. The Holy Spirit is carrying Solomon to write all these words against all that you hold dear, really, it feels like. And that's from God, and that's meant to shepherd you. That's what this is. Now, we look at this and learn that when we're looking... Through the book of Ecclesiastes, our time that we spend here, it's meant to change your direction. It's not meant for you to read this and keep on living the same way, chasing the same things. How insane would it be for him to say everything that you're chasing, it's like trying to catch the wind and then you just go buy more jars to put on the shelf for your wind collection. It's meant for us to turn around. And to come to a conclusion. Verse 12. My son, beware of anything beyond these. But making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness for the flesh. So Solomon comes along like a shepherd. Now like a father. He says, my son, be careful about anything beyond this. So he's talking about. The person who's always searching, never coming to a conclusion. Do you know that guy or are you that guy that goes, I now we can't definitely know about anything. Like, we, we, we don't, can we really know for sure? Can we really know for sure about anything ever? Like, how can you really know? How can you really know? Solomon comes along like a father, for the skeptic, right? Who's always searching and never coming and landing on anything. He's saying, beware of anything beyond what I'm getting ready to tell you and what I've already said. There's a lot of books out there. And studying them makes you really tired. It does. It wears you out. Beware of this. Beware of this. And for us as Christians, looking at verse 12, we know that he's talking about studying beyond what God has said in context. So we're, we we look at this and realize if God has spoken on something, that's it. That's it. And so if only God told us the meaning of life, then maybe we wouldn't have to search so far and so hard for this. The point that he makes at the end of Ecclesiastes is that God, like a shepherd, has told you what matters, what doesn't matter, what your life means, where you can't find meaning in your life. So stop searching. This is it. This is it. Don't keep looking. Don't keep looking. You'll just wear yourself out. Because to keep looking is to refuse the words of the shepherd. That's what it is. So everything matters in God for your direction. And this is particularly bad why we would keep looking because everything matters in God for your duty. Your duty. Look at the bottom line here in verse 13. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. The whole duty of man. This is why you don't need to keep trying everything under the sun. To see if it satisfies you because you are missing out on your duty, the responsibility, the obligation for why you were created. In the Hebrew, the original Hebrew, he's saying this is the whole of man. This is everything for you. This is everything that matters for you. The answer for what you're supposed to do with your life, what are you supposed to do with the life? Look, how many minutes do you have? How many minutes do you have in your life? Oh, you don't know? No, me neither. But I do know this, how you are to spend them. This is how you are to spend them. The end of the matter. Don't keep searching. Don't keep looking. Maybe more money. Maybe more sex. Maybe more wealth. Maybe more pleasure. Maybe more. Maybe we're just too poor. Maybe we're just too poor. The richest man who ever lived at this point. Tells you more is not the answer. Something different is the answer. The end of the matter. After all has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commands. So the answer for what we do, what are you supposed to do with your life? The big question. It's not found under the sun. It's found above the sun. In the God who created the sun. What you're supposed to do with your life is found in relation to God. That's what he's saying here. You are to fear God. Fear God. Now, modern sensibilities, sensitivities, has narrowed the focus of this word to, be, to not mean um, what you'd think it was, right? So you're supposed to be scared of God? Is that right? You're supposed to be scared of God? Kind of. Kind of. So we venture away from that and be like very respectful of God. You should be very respectful of him. Tuck in your shirt when you see him. That's what you ought to do. No, it's, this is a mingling, as it's been said, of dread, awe, and reverence. Respect. We can't get away from the plain meaning of this. Jesus said this in Matthew 10. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So there is an aspect in which there is a slight fear, at least of what God is capable of, what God is capable of. Now in the context of the, of the passage Uh, we see that God is a shepherd. God is a shepherd. You know what hurts? The goads. The goads. So what are the sheep afraid of? The pain that the goads put in when they're going the wrong way. Thomas Aquinas said there's a difference between slavish fear and childlike fear. This isn't like we're all captives to God and we're in a prison of his sovereignty. No. He's a shepherd, and he might poke us if we're going the wrong way with some pain in our life to alter our direction for our good. That means he's a shepherd. And that means he's going to benefit the sheep in the way that he guides them, but that doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. That doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. John Brown defines fearing God as esteeming the smiles and frown of God to be of greater value than the smiles and frown of men. Right? We care about the expression on God's face more than I care about the expression on your face and vice versa. Right? You care at the end of the day his response to your life as opposed to my response to your life. You care about what he thinks more than you care about what I think. See, that's what we're doing, right? We're raising up our kids, ideally, right, in the fear of the Lord. We're raising up our kids to care about what God thinks about them and what God thinks about what they do, their actions, that they live, how they live. So He's saying, "This is this is it for you. This is it for you. Fear God, keep His commands." He's a shepherd. He's going to direct you. He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you. It might hurt. It might be a little painful. This is everything for you that you care what he thinks about your life and the way you're living more than you you care about what other people think. This is a fear that he talks about in the book of Proverbs chapter 9. He says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In other words, you don't know anything until you know this. And here in Ecclesiastes, you haven't done anything that you're supposed to do in your life, right? You haven't done your, you had one job, you got one job, and you haven't done it. If you do not fear God. Like a child and their parent to go, I know daddy's not going to hurt me, but his discipline is not going to be pleasant. He's trying to create something in me. So we don't know anything until we know this. We haven't done anything until we've done this. And as one pastor put it, no one has ever feared God and then not obeyed him. they never feared God and then not obeyed him. You see, to the contrary, we show that we obey God by obedience to his commands the vanity of all things ought to lead us towards holiness to god the vanity of all things should lead us to holiness toward god meaning there's a way that god told you that you ought to be living he said all there's a bunch of things that don't matter they don't matter right there's one thing that does matter that's it my opinion of you how I told you you ought to be living. That, my friends, is what we ought to be doing. So everything matters in God for your direction, for your duty, and your deeds. Your deeds. Verse 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You say, what's the difference between duty and deeds? Thank you for asking. Your duty is what you should be doing, right? What, what you should be doing. That's your duty. Thank you for laughing at my duty, my wife. Thank you. You're sweet and you're, and you're beautiful. Your duty is what you ought to be doing. Your deeds are what you actually do. See the difference? So what's your duty? Fear God, keep his commands. That means looking at God in awe of him and reverence of him and respect and a little bit of dread that his discipline in your life might be painful like the goad of a shepherd. And then, that's what you ought to have been doing the whole time. That's what you should have been doing. The one thing you should do with your life, that's the one thing. Now, the problem is, what's your life actually look like? Like what? Do you, what do you actually do? Well, the reason the reason you should fear God and keep His commandments—that's the four there in verse fourteen—because God's going to bring every deed, what you actually do, into judgment, a calling to an account whether it's good or evil. That's why everything matters under the sun. Everything matters under the sun because it's all done before the eyes of a holy God of whom you will one day give an account. You'll one day give an account of those things. You understand our biggest problem and our biggest issue and the biggest reason there's a big U-turn sign on most of our directions of our life is that we're not living alone down here under the sun. We're not by ourselves. We're not by ourselves. But everything we do is lived before the eyes of a God above the sun. The world may fool you by the invisible nature of God that no one is watching you, And it doesn't matter what you do. And you're just a clump of cells or a mammal with desires. No. No, that's why you don't please yourself. Because God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the reason you fear God, you do what he says because he's bringing everything to an account at the end. You know, everything, even the secret things, the secret things. So the things that you don't think he knows about or you don't think anyone else knows about, he knows about those things and he is bringing you into judgment for it. And here's the verdict, either good or evil. He's the umpire, whether good or evil. That's what he's going to say. That's what he's doing. If you thought you were alone down here, you might be pursuing all the things that Solomon is pursuing. Realize that you're not. His eye is never off of you. It's never off of you. And he gets real specific, even these secret things. So what is the meaning of life? Why, is, why are you here? Why, why are you here at all in your life? Why, not just church, but why are you here on the planet? That, because of God. Fearing God and obeying Him in light of one day meeting Him and him bringing everything into account. Now, it's important for us to note as we're looking here, in light of all the scriptures. The meaning of our life is that we should fear God and do what he says because we're going to be judged for it. However, this isn't teaching us that God will love you if you're a good little boy and you, do, you, you don't you do get out of line and you do everything he says. And when he judges you, you will be guilt, guiltless because you've been a good little boy with your life. Like you could earn a verdict before God by how you lived. Don't, don't go there. Don't go there. Like that you could be good enough with the things that you did for, to earn God's love. Example, if you're renting your home, you, they let you live there because you pay them. And if you stopped paying them, they would stop you from living there. Take our kids as a contrary to that. They do nothing but cost money. They just cost money. You know, like, they they come and none of them mows my yard. None of them. Not one of them mows the yard. They don't. Not one of them fixes the house when it's broken. We have some issues with the floor in the kitchen, and not one of them can do anything about it. So what should we do? Like, okay, you're like, you know what? Our kids had not paid rent once. And they don't fix the house. They don't mow the yard. They don't do anything. Okay, guys, let's all get together. We're going to evict them. We're going to evict them. we do it? You want to do it? Just evict our kids. Kick them right out. Out in the street. Three-month-old baby. Out in the street, son. Can't even read. Doesn't have any teeth yet. He's working on them, though. He's growing teeth. Maybe one day he's going to mow the yard. You see the difference? He's not a renter. He's not a renter there. He's a part of the family. So, the good news of the gospel is not that you pay the rent tax and then God gives you what you deserve for how good you were to start with. That's not how it works. So we have to take Ecclesiastes and we have to plug it into the rest of the Bible lest we look at it and go fear God and keep his commands. Okay, I'm going to do this so God doesn't spank me at the end. As if we could earn something before God. But we do take this principle from the book of Ecclesiastes that the reason you're alive and the meaning of your life is not to be found in the pursuit of all of these things, the reason you're alive and the meaning of your life is to be found in God. And the rest of the scripture speak on the ending of Ecclesiastes and tell us that this isn't all of the story. This isn't all of the story. You see, the problem with us as God's renters, right, is that we don't fear God. Like we should. We don't keep his commands like we should. Who are we in the book of Ecclesiastes? We're more likely Solomon trying to find meaning and satisfaction under the sun everywhere apart from God. That's us in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's who we are. We're the people who try to live there and not pay rent. We're paying all kinds of other things for our pleasures in the house, so to speak, of God, to keep the metaphor going. And the issue is is that God should kick us out for how we have not feared him and we have not kept his commands. There should be a judgment coming because every deed will be brought into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Do you see how the book of Ecclesiastes really ends with the law? The law of God that none of us have kept and are bankrupt eternally. So if you just look at this verse, verses 13 and 14, this condemns everyone to hell for all of eternity. It does. It absolutely does. That's the problem. That none of us have done what we should have done. So therefore, we are all in trouble. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence the earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. There's the problem. And the sea gave up their dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they have done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Do you see the problem here in Ecclesiastes chapter 13 and 14? Is that one day every deed will be brought forth before the eyes of a holy God. This is our greatest problem. That we're living down here under the sun apart from God and there's not meaning here, but everything is to be found in God because one day we're going to be judged by him and when all of those books are going to be opened, we will be kicked out from the the pleasure of his presence. We will then endure the wrath of his presence. Forever in a lake that burns fire. You go, that's just a metaphor. You know what metaphors are though, right? They describe realities that our words can't necessarily comprehend appropriately. So what do you think a lake of literal fire is actually standing for? What do you think it stands for? It's not bubble gum, and lollipops. So there's bad news here at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes is that God's going to judge us for everything we've done, either good or evil. And if we're tenants, right, if we're trying to do this so God will love us, we've got a problem. We will be evicted because we do not do what we should do. But here at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, my friends, it is in a Bible of other books. The good news of the gospel is that we didn't love God, but God loved us with a very one-way love. First John 4.10, it says, It's not that we loved God, that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the covering for our sins. You see, we didn't love God. We we tried to find meaning everywhere but him. We didn't try to find meaning in him. And if we're trying to pay rent with all the good things we're doing, we're going to get eternally evicted from the pleasuring presence of God into a place called hell. You see, though, from the Scriptures, God is more like a shepherd and more like a father than he is a landowner because we have these kids in our house, and they do not mow the yard. They do not fix the floor when it's broken. They don't fix my van door. Neither do I, but let's get real. They they don't. And I let them live there because they're mine. You see the story of the scriptures is a story of God judging Christ in our place. God is holy and righteous and just and perfect in all of his ways and he does everything right. He is good and he does good and he created man in his image and man rebelled against him. That's us. We have rebelled we've rebelled against him. Tried to find meaning, pleasure, and satisfaction everywhere but him instead of him immediately punishing us, God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus who pleased the Father. He pleased God on our behalf. And he lived the perfect life. And he found meaning and satisfaction and pleasure and contentment only in God. He found joy in God and not his circumstances. He found all that in God and God was enough for him in every single way, in every situation. God was enough for the Son. And then he died on the cross for our rebellion against God. Three days later, he came back to life after death. He rose from the grave. Alive after death. God of very God and man of very man. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you know what? One day... Every deed will be brought into judgment of mine and yours. And you understand what we saw there in 1 John chapter 4? It's not that we love God. We didn't love God, but he loved us and sent his son to cover our sin. To cover our sin. To cover the ways that we didn't obey. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 14. That's what he did. So he did for us. He covered our sin. Covered our sin. So on that day when the books are opened, and I'm brought into judgment, the final say on my life will be that Jesus Christ died in my place for my sin. He paid the price I could not pay. So I will not be eternally evicted by a heavenly landowner, but I will be welcomed in to a heavenly Father. Because the judge on that day will judge me not guilty based on Jesus in my place for my sin. And he's not just a judge, but he's a father and a shepherd. Like Solomon coming here and saying, my son, listen to this. This is all it's about. You see, God is that for us. I am adopted into his family. So therefore, I get to live in his house, not because I feared him and kept his commands, but I, I get to live there in his presence. I get to be with him now, walk with him now, because Jesus died in my place for my sins and absorbed the wrath of God, covered my sin, and he took away my stone heart and put in me a heart of flesh. He changed my heart, changed my desires. That's what he's done for me. So now that I know that that has happened, right? I fear God, and I keep His commands, because I realize that joy, satisfaction, contentment, happiness, and everything in between is found only in Him. The rest of the scriptures and the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ informs how we read Ecclesiastes at the end. That everything down here, apart from God, is meaningless. You keep searching right? You're wearing yourself out. You won't catch anything. Keep fishing for it. You won't have anything on your hook. You won't. Why? Because every bit of meaning is found in God and none of those things. And if you're a Christian today, look at this U-turn sign. This is a call of repentance that everything matters and everything me is, there's meaning in God for the direction of our life, just the way that we're going, for our duty, the things that we should be doing, right? Everything matters in God for those things and the things that we actually do. It all matters in Him. So as we come to the top of the hill in the book of Ecclesiastes, this is the end of the matter. Don't keep searching your search is over, my friends. If you're not a fool, your search is over. If you're a fool, keep wearing yourself out. But no, no, don't do that. Don't keep looking. The answer is here. Fear God and keep his commandments because one day you're going to be judged by him. This is a call for us to turn to the Lord Jesus who lived in, in our place and died in our, for our sin and rose on the third day. And now, because of what Jesus has done for us, we fear God. We keep his commands. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your scriptures. They answer the big questions for us in our life. We can rest easy knowing that everything matters in you alone. Please help us to turn from whatever we might be pursuing to meaning in God. Joy in you. Satisfaction in you. Purpose in you. Give us all these things and everything we need because everything we need is in you. In Jesus' name, amen.